Welcome back to the program. For those that study and write about politics, the holy grail is to find those seminal moments in the nation's public and political life that changes everything. And while the antecedents of those events may be years in the making, they usually form a perfect storm that results in an event that's a kind of tipping point, one that marks a permanent tectonic shift in the political landscape. Sometimes, though, we have to let time pass before we appreciate or even understand those moments. The televised Nixon-Kennedy debate, Watergate and the Nixon resignation, the Vietnam War piped into our living room, and according to my guest, longtime political journalist Matt Bai, the implosion of Gary Hart's presidential campaign in 1987, a time when politics became a plot line, when the personal became both political and public, and when who, what, where, and when became gotcha. Matt Bai is Yahoo's national political columnist, the former chief political correspondent for the New York Times Magazine, and it is my pleasure to welcome Matt Bai back to this program to talk about his new book, All the Truth is Out, The Week Politics Went Tabloid. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jeff. That was a, that's a terrific summary of my book. I think I might have to steal it. <laughs> You're welcome to it. Thank you. This book started as you began to reassess an article that you wrote back in 2002 for the, for the magazine, for the New York Times Magazine, about Gary Hart, about the implosion of his campaign. And you talk about the fact that that stuck with you in some ways. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's been a long journey, Jeff. And it's funny how things bounce one way or the other and your career takes funny, funny directions. I mean, I, I saw an item in a newspaper at the end of 2002 about Gary Hart thinking about running for president again. And I remembered him from my college years and the, the, the sensational scandal that brought him down. And I thought, wow, why would anybody want to go back and revisit that? And I was a pretty new writer at the New York Times Magazine. I remember I, I actually that I went to the magazine's Christmas party, and then I got on a plane and went to Denver. Uh, and I wrote about Hart. I was really struck by him, by his intellect and uh, the way he saw around corners still, as he was always said to. And, and uh, and, and, and how impressive he seemed and also how wounded he seemed. And he was not going to run for president. I, I did a piece about it, and he didn't like it. I thought it was fine. My editors liked it. Uh, but over the years, as you say, it really did stick with me. I felt that uh, something deeper was going on that I'd missed. I hate the feeling of not having gotten really to the bottom of something, and I began to really connect that, that moment in my mind with so much of what I was seeing in presidential politics as I covered the next couple of elections, which was, the withdrawal of candidates and ideas and worldviews, the, the remoteness of the process and how it was replaced with these constant discussions and attempts to illuminate character and moral fiber and all of these things that are very hard to gauge and the way that we would boil down people to single embarrassing moments. And I, um, I felt like there was a story that had to be told. It became kind of an obsession for me and a story I really had to put out there, and that's what this book became. There was also this this link, sort of two sides of the same coin, between character on the one hand and triviality on the other. Because in many ways, there seems to be such a direct line between, and you talk about this, Paul Taylor from the Washington Post question to Gary Hart about flat out whether he had committed adultery, a line to that to Tabitha Soren asking Bill Clinton boxers or briefs. Well, that's exactly right, Jeff. I mean... You've put your finger on it. It's a good way to describe it, which is this convergence of two things. On one hand, you did have a very important uh, rationale in the media at that time in 1987. We were only, uh, you know, what, uh, 12 or 13 years after Nixon's resignation, and 
there was a very real sense for a lot of younger reporters just coming into the business that they were not going to make the same mistakes a previous generation had made, that it was crucial not to let up a liar into the White House again. And for them, uh, character and sort of this moral fitness was an overriding concern. And that was a real sea change in American politics and in media. But at the same time, you have what's going on in the culture is this blurring of the line between entertainment and really everything, including politics and journalism. Politicians showing up on TV shows, the, the invention of the satellite dish, and this new kind of live-breaking tabloidish scandal like the Jim and Tammy Faye Baker thing, which happens the same year, a little before the heart scandal. And TV news in particular is becoming a much more important force, but also a much more instantaneous and much more trivial force that's, that's really focusing on storylines and characters. And I think these two things really converge in that moment in 1987. Uh, for, there are just a lot of things happening in the society that come together. And I don't think Gary Hart created that moment or, or that it had a whole lot to do with him. I think that somebody was going to walk into that convergence, whether it was him or whether it was someone else or whether it was that year or a couple of years later. And, 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 and that's, I think, you know, a really misunderstood piece of that scandal is that I, I think it was inevitable and it really reflects the direction the society was already going. The other thing that seems to be misunderstood in retrospect is really what the coverage of Watergate was really about and how that should be interpreted from a journalistic and from a public perspective. We tend to look back at at the coverage of Watergate and Woodward and Bernstein and all the things that went along with it as a kind of gotcha story because that's the way the narrative played out. But it was, in, in a traditional sense, hardcore shoe-leather journalism, but we don't see it that way, necessarily. Hi, man. Jeff, I couldn't be with you more. What you're saying is such a profound insight uh, and, and, and very widely, I think, misunderstood or not, not even really re-examined. And, and in fact, I tried to talk to Bob Woodward about this and working on this book, and uh, he kept saying he was going to talk to me, and we didn't. Uh, but, uh, you know, this, this is really true, that, that we, we think of Watergate. The lesson that my industry took away from Watergate, uh, the lesson that this next generation learned was that there was no greater calling than exposing the lie, that politicians were hiding something, that fraudulence uh, and, and moral frailty were sort of vital issues, and that ultimately, uh, you, you know, this was, this was the... The greatest thing a political journalist could do was to take someone down. And in reality, as you say, the Watergate was really about a crime. It was a crime story that fell into the laps of a couple of very enterprising metro reporters, not political reporters, and they followed the story where it led. And it led to this absolutely remarkable historic moment. But it was not, it's certainly not Woodward and Bernstein's intention to go out and take down a president. It was not their supposition that the president was a liar. And I, I think in that sense, the, the real lesson of Watergate is that you follow a story where it leads without preconceptions and you work it awfully hard because the, the, the end result is the truth. Not that, you know, there's always a lie waiting to be exposed and that you can gain fame and fortune by exposing it. When we look at the more contemporaneous to that time political scandals, is there evidence when you look at Rockefeller, when you look at Chappaquiddick, that, that we were inching towards this little by little? Uh, yes, I think so. I think it was a long time in coming. I mean, if you think about uh, some of the scandals you talked about, uh, you know, certainly the culture was moving more toward an entertainment 
focus uh, from for many years, and 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 Ted Kennedy's presidential run in 1980 may well be a sort of precursor for what happened at Hart, but with with some crucial differences that I think make 1987 a really pivotal moment because for 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 the entire 20th century, really. I mean, let's just talk about the 20th century because people like to go back to Hamilton and Cleveland, and I don't think that's terribly useful or illustrative. But when we're talking about the 20th century, occasionally sex was covered, and occasionally, uh, uh, you know, personal scandals broke out into the open. But they broke out into the open and became political issues, and then the press covered them. So Nelson Rockefeller divorces his wife and marries a much younger uh, congressional staffer or uh, Ted Kennedy and Chappaquiddick, these things become political issues. They have to be covered, but no one searches for them. Uh, the other thing is when it happens, it's not completely defining or disgraceful. Right? It, 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 it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't negate everything else you've done in your public career. So Chappaquiddick doesn't ruin Ted Kennedy. He goes on, in fact, to run for president and is lionized at his death. Nelson Rockefeller becomes vice president of the United States, finally. Uh, in Hart's case, what's, what's really shocking is that reporters staked him out. Reporters in the Miami Herald have the presumed nominee of the Democratic Party, the Hillary Clinton of his day, literally backed up against a brick wall next to his townhouse while he's wearing a white hoodie late at night, and they're peppering him with questions. Who's the woman in your house? We saw her. Did you have sex with her? I mean, this is forgotten now as, or, and misremembered, as is a lot of the really gripping narrative at the heart of the book. But, uh, but that's unprecedented, and what's unprecedented is that in five days he has become a national joke his entire political career as the leading politician of his generation, uh, you know, just, just thrown to the trash heap, and he's branded by this really forever. Uh, it's really the end of his political career. One of the interesting things about Hart being the one to step in, that, that the story happened around him, is that as smart as he was, and you write a lot about how, how smart he was and how prescient he was with respect to policy and so many other areas, that he was caught in between two generations with respect to this media world and this cultural landscape you talk about, that even though he was perceived as, as younger and hipper and part of a newer generation, he was clearly centered in the previous generation. And it becomes seemingly very clear that he didn't, didn't know how to navigate that landscape. It's true, and it's shocking. I mean, here, here you have a guy, and you, know, you have to look at Hart, right? He's born in post-Depression Kansas, so he's a very reticent Westerner. He comes to public life in the 1970s as kind of a 30-year-old glamorous figure who managed George McGovern's campaign. So he's, you know, he's, a, he's a, a, a kind of glamorous figure in Washington, uh, then comes to the Senate as a very young man two years later. So he, uh, you know, he's, he serves on, he's, he's called to politics by the Kennedys, the example of the Kennedys. He serves on the Church Commission. He knows what uh, Kennedy was up to and that it wasn't reported. He's seen, uh, he's seen a lot of politicians. He's been friends with uh, longstanding friendships with members of the press corps who never went near his personal life. Uh, he's twice separated from his wife. At one point, he stays on Bob Woodward's couch, right? And nobody <laughs> writes about it. He's dating women all over Washington. In 1984, he becomes the biggest political celebrity in the country for months, almost taking the nomination from Walter Mondale. Everybody knows his reputation in Washington, but still nobody writes about affairs or liaisons. So while he can see around corners, as you say, in this remarkable way when it comes to foreign policy, stateless terrorism, energy uh, dependence, uh, the rise of the technological economy, he, he, he can't for the life of him imagine 
that his personal life is going to become uh, a political issue. And even when he's made to understand that times have changed and a personal scandal can be quite injurious to his ambition, he does certainly doesn't think anybody's going to come out looking for it, uh, you know, that they're going to search, search for the evidence or stake him out. And, you know, he ends up in this moment, this incredible moment in the book in New Hampshire at this packed news conference, at the sort of climax of this story, when Paul Taylor, a reporter from the Washington Post of all places, says to him in front of this packed room, Senator, have you ever committed adultery? And it's a shocking question. The people who were in the room, and I met someone who was in the room just a few days ago, yeah, they're, they're shocked still. They remember that moment because no presidential candidate had ever faced a question like that. And Hart just freezes. He, he doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know what to say. And as the scandal unfolds, he doesn't know how to deal with it. I mean, it's hard for us to imagine in this day and age where we watch politicians weasel out of so many problems, including these kind of problems, that Hart just didn't have any frame of reference to deal with this. He didn't, and I think it's important, you know, you, the, the point you sort of raised tangentially, which is very important, is, you know, is what we consider political leadership and ability. Because prior to 1987, the ability to weasel one's way around that question and obfuscate and sort of run the traps that the media would set for you in your private life was not a prerequisite for political leadership. You could be a terrific politician in the 1970s. Uh, without ever having to uh, lie about your personal affairs or subject your family to invasiveness or take your wife on TV and talk about your marriage, any of that. Uh, After 1987, of course, the very definition of political ability shifts to one who can sort of navigate the game and avoid the gotchas. And so Hart is really well-suited, ideally suited, for the political universe before 1987, but very poorly suited for the moment in which he finds himself. And, and he warns us, you know, there's this terrific uh, speech where he gets out of the race in 1987. He gives this angry speech. Mm-hmm. He tears up the one his staff writes for him, and he speaks from the heart in this kind of Bullworth moment. Uh, and it's, it's almost entirely forgotten. Uh, but he says, you know, we'll be, mark my words, we'll become a, the politics will become about the hunters and the hunted, and we'll, we'll treat it like a spectator sport, and we'll get the leaders we deserve. And... Um, and everybody laughs at him and mocks him and says, you know, he's not being contrite and he's not realizing that he's the guy at fault. But, you know, I think 27 years later, those words ring quite ominously. And it's not only that we get the political leaders we deserve, because that's certainly one part of this story, which he talked about, but that it resulted in that we get the kind of journalism and the kind of culture we deserve because we have responded culturally that the fault lies not necessarily in our political stars, but in ourselves because this is what the country has responded to from a cultural and journalistic and entertainment perspective. Well, yes, I think it became embedded in the journalism culture, the idea that the, the ultimate moment, the moment we're after in a campaign, right, Jeff, is the moment where we expose your flaw. Right? It's, it's, it's the moment where we figure out what makes you a hypocrite. And we've, we've erected all these rationales. It's not the sex, it's the lie. And it's a lie to his wife, a lie to the rest of us. But what we're really... What we're really saying is that, that, that the real in, adrenaline moment, the real crowning moment is when we take you down, and it's what the public wants to see. And so there is a bit of a hunter and hunted mentality to it. And, and we have, you know, it's important, I think, to point out, we've not had a real discussion around this in our industry, partly because the heart moment was so misremembered. 
right? The, the narrative mm-hmm. of that moment, if the public remembers it at all, is Hart got up and said, challenge, he challenged the press and he said, follow me around, put a tail on me. And then the press came after him, did exactly what he wanted, and it turned out that he was foolish enough to get caught. That's actually not what happened. It turns out that he did give that quote to a single reporter in a moment of exasperation. He did not intend it as a challenge. It wasn't taken as a challenge. And the Miami Herald put him under surveillance before that quote had become public and before they, they had a chance to consider it. They only start talking about the quote. They only see it in an advanced copy of the New York Times Magazine while they're staking out hard. So, in fact, we made the choice to the boundaries between public and private lives. It wasn't him. And, you know, I think, I think the misremembering of that uh, prevented us, in a sense, or allowed us not to have a real debate in the years that followed over where to draw the line between public and private and, and, and how you measure the character or integrity of a politician and why we had decided to do that differently than we had for, you know, a century before that. And, of course, the, the corollary of that is how these things play out in the public mind. I mean, I, I loved Rick Hertzberg's quote where he says that, that Gary Hart essentially was the first American victim of Islamic justice. That, yeah. that, that, and, and then you look at how other politicians since Hart have played this, and some successfully, some not so much. And that's part of this conversation that we've never had because it's so indiscriminate how this has played out. Well, Hertzberg, Hertzberg's piece is amazing. Yeah, he went on to a, sort of a career at the New Yorker, too. At the time, he was at the New Republic. And he writes what I, I, I consider to be really the only remarkably prescient piece that I've seen from that time. And in addition to, to saying, you know, we've stoned to death this candidate like the mullahs in Iran, what he says is, uh, you know, surely if Gary Hart is a liar who can't be trusted, there is a, there, there, there's, there's some accumulation of this in the public record. Let those lies be produced. And no one did, of course, and no one ever does. And the point that this gets to that I think is so important is, you know, how do you measure the character of a person uh, and in what context? Because what I really think this is about is context. You know, people say, well, should we not care about what you do in your private life? Is there no transgression that matters to your character? Of course it does. And of course we should care about character. We always did. But these things, the the worst moments have to be put in context. As Bob Kerry said to me, the former senator, we're not the worst things we've ever done in our lives, and there's a tendency to think we are. And what happens in the moment with Hart is that the single worst thing that's ever been found out about him becomes the only thing that matters. And a lifetime of serving the public, not ever having been accused of corruption, not ever ducking a tough vote, not ever telling people what they wanted to hear, all of that is washed away. And I think if there's one thing, you know, we've lost in our business, it's, 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 it's not the, uh, it's not the focus on what's important. I mean, sometimes these transgressions are important and we cover a lot of other things too. It's the context and the perspective to say in the moment when somebody has done something they regret, said something stupid, done something in their personal life that's embarrassing or shameful, that it, that is not the totality of a person. And that some measure of context and balance are also, you know, integral to responsible journalism. The other part of that, though, is that the that Gary Hart's transgressions and and the way this has played out, as we've been talking about, existed in the context of that moment, and Hart reacted to it the way he did because he was who he was generationally, as we talked about. But if you look at cases even since Hart, whether it's Bill Clinton or David Vitter or Spitzer, et cetera, 
that they always seem to function within the context of the moment, that there's no consistency in our response, in our reaction. Well, that's probably true. I mean, uh, there isn't a lot of consistency, except that the people who survive scandal now are simply a lot more, uh, are simply willing to dispense with the boundaries of their own privacy and are willing to say and do whatever they have to uh, to remain relevant and come back in public life. Uh, and whereas somebody like Hart, who, as you say, generationally wasn't suited to that, uh, you know, simply goes away and is kind of mocked and, and, you know, refuses to do the Oprah interview or write the tell all memoir. And as a result, uh, can't come back into our public life. And I think, I think the result of that ultimately, um, is, is, is a self-selecting process where the people you're left with, not entirely, we have great politicians uh, and very moral politicians in the country, but the, the self-selecting aspect of that means that you are left with a disproportionate number of people who crave the power at the expense of everything else and need the public adoration at the expense of everything else, be it their family, their privacy, uh, their own truth. Uh, whereas somebody who, who doesn't want to put themselves through that kind of unendurable process and scrutiny simply doesn't run or is drummed out of politics. Uh, and you have a lot of people then who can enter politics who really have no business holding public office, in my view, because uh, the focus is so much on their character and their personality uh, and their ability to answer these questions that nobody's really asking them to explain their worldviews or their plans, and it turns out they don't have any. So, uh, so I, I think it's I think it's a damaging uh, way to go to sort of operate our politics from scandal to scandal. And as I say, it's not just sex. The book is the book is not. Right. I think the takeaway from the heart moment isn't just about sex. It's about all the stupid things that human beings do to make themselves complex and contradictory, uh, and and the way that we've decided that our politicians ought not to be human. It's also how we define what's important in character and what makes up character. And in this this celebrity culture that we live in today, that we were beginning to live in 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 the time of Gary Hart in 87, that in fact we define culture differently, that we've defined it down in many respects. You know, I think we have. And this is, you know, what this is, you know, something I get to in the book is after recounting all the events. So what do we mean by character? I mean, I I would put it this way with what we were just talking about and what happened in the years after, because there's this chapter in the book on Hart called Exile. It's the seventh chapter of the book. It's probably my favorite. Uh, It's it's just really about how this affected him and his family in the years after, uh, because, and how it affected Donna Rice, the woman involved, because, you know, this is, um, at heart, the book I've written is a story. It's really this human story, and and and, and it's it's, narr- it's it's a narrative about a man and his family and this moment. And you know the uh, the the point I, I I ask is, what is character? Right? Is 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 character the guy who says, I'm not gonna I'm not putting myself or my family through this. I'm not sharing the details of my private life now or for the next 27 years. And if it costs me all of my ambition and all of my reputation fine, but there are lines beyond which I don't think I should have to go. Or is character the person who grovels and drags their wife on TV and through news conferences and lies about their past and says whatever has to be said and does whatever and goes on cable TV and has a new show so he can run again for office and (laughs) all the things that we expect of people now in order for them to come back and serve. And because I think, uh, I think for most of the life of the country, certainly in the modern era, uh, we considered character to be the former, 
somebody who stands by their convictions, even uh, e even if it costs them personally. And I think there is a danger to the country, and there has been a cost of defining it instead by a kind of cravenness. It's also about, it seems to be about the country's control and, and our control of the arc of the story. That while we love to tear people down, we also like the redemption that goes along with it because it, it draws them into our world. I mean, the, the, the country's perception, at least. And that's, yes. a, that's a dangerous part of this as well. Yeah, this gets back to your point earlier about entertainment, right. triviality, right? I mean, Neil Postman writes a book in 1985, two years before the Hart scandal, which in retrospect is, is one of the more prescient social critiques I've ever read, and I think probably in, in American history. It's called Amusing Ourselves to Death, and Postman, who was a professor and a media critic, a sort of social critic, writes that you know, effectively all of our politics and news were veering into the realm of entertainment, and we expected people to be characters and events to be storylines. Uh, and that there was a danger to this, right? That, that 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 all of the communication in the mass media era was becoming uh, like a television sitcom, and we expected everything to unfold in certain ways. And 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 it leads directly to what you're suggesting, which is that you know we want everyone, we want to take everyone down, and then we want them to seek our redemption, and then we want to redeem them because that's how it works in the TV movie. And uh, and and that's the storyline that we as a culture have adapted. It's sort of the folklore of the television era. Um, and and Hart simply did not conform to that. He did not seek our redemption, and he was punished very severely in the public mind. Um, and I and I hope that uh, you know there there are a lot of things I'm trying to do. You know, when I wrote this book, it was really a, about sharing this very moving story with people. And you know, I think it goes beyond politics. Uh, and also trying, you know, leading, following it where it leads and, and making some, drawing some lessons about the time I've seen in politics and what I've covered. But I also hope at the end of the day, it leads to some reappraisal of this man because he has a real legacy. He was a visionary politician at a moment when we needed one. His, his, his uh, understanding of the challenges of that moment led directly to Bill Clinton and, and what we considered Clintonism. Uh, it, it, it presaged a lot of the debates we would have for many years to come. Uh, and he's really, I think, been given a very unfair uh, label and treatment and has been unable to serve uh, and has been uh, has been forgotten or remembered cruelly. And I think, um, you know, I, I would like to see him remembered differently, ultimately, than that, with more complexity and more compassion, because I think he deserves it. And finally, the, the real litmus test may be, and, and maybe you've gotten some reaction already, the real litmus test is how millennials will see this story, being a generation that, on the one hand, is more self-absorbed but also more tolerant, and how they will look upon things like this. Yeah. I'll tell you what's fascinating, Jeff. You're right, and, and it's been a preoccupation of mine with this book, truthfully, which is uh, not just to reach people who remember the scandal, have some nostalgia for it, or strong feelings about heart one way or the other, but to reach these younger folks. If I go to speak to a college audience, no one's heard of him. But I think it's a story that if you want to understand your frustrations with the process today, I think it's a story you need to hear. And it was interesting to me that, uh, I, you know, I went on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, right. and uh, the video from that has been sent all over. I've heard so much, particularly on social media, on Twitter and Facebook, from younger viewers who watch that and not necessarily, you know, a Sunday show. And... Uh, and were gripped by that story and and fascinated by what I was saying and uh, and 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 have talked about me and talked about the book and so I think 
you know, I do think there's a responsiveness. I mean, it's sometimes hard to reach, sometimes for our entire industry, right? There's a preoccupation. It's hard to reach a lot of these younger uh, viewers, readers, voters, whatever whatever they are. But I do think that um, that they are uh, fascinated by our politics, trying to understand how to do it better, trying to understand what happened in the previous generation. And I think this story touches them. And I, and I, I really, I really, you know, it is a, it is a central preoccupation of my days right now to try and reach those those younger Americans with the book and uh, because I, I think there's something to be gained. Matt Bai, the book is All the Truth is Out, The Week Politics Went Tabloid. Matt, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. I thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it very much. Thank you.